Hark! You do not hear a growl there, but this is still the right place for the podcast. This is KG. You listen to, you are listening to a KG Fifth Ward Wildcat and Doc podcast. There is no growl in this podcast. The Wildcat had take care of some family matters, but we're going to go ahead and uh, do a podcast, Doc and myself. So thank you as always for listening. It's this Saturday afternoon, a busy weekend here. Doc, sir, how are you? I'm doing well. Again, I'm glad you gave that explanation to the listeners, and definitely we'll try to do our our best knowing that uh, he can't be replaced in terms of uh, having his voice, his spirit, obviously his demeanor in terms of how we bring it, but we'll try to give it to the people like they want it because we don't want them to miss the podcast. What's on your brain? What do you want to get into first? you want to talk about the sports? you want to talk about Marcus Smart? Michael Sam, what do you want to talk about? Let's get into what's hot and heavy, you know, two hot subjects, and then we can go back and fill and give the uh, listeners some more information about the general sports landscape. But I think the issue that we need to really discuss um, is the issue with Sam in terms of announcing that he is uh, gay, African-American. I guess you can see that part Mm -hmm. of it, obviously, those that watched it. Uh, but he came out. And then the other issue that I'll kind of start with because it's kind of dear to my heart, you know that I'm a student-athlete advocate, and I hate using that term because, you know, again, we know where it comes from and what it means in terms of not allowing student athletes or athletes that are students first, obviously, to be able to financially have reward uh, their sources of income in terms of what they bring to the table, economically speaking, because of that name that they have student. But let's get to the real issue. Looking at Marcus Smart and um, the way that you can really tell the student athletes don't have any power. We talked about this last podcast with Northwestern State uh, really stepping out and stating that they want to be unionized and recognized so they can have a voice. And this is just another example. Um, It was an incident. Took up a lot of media. Northwestern. Yeah, Northwestern was a huge statement, and it didn't hardly get any real coverage in terms of the mass media. This one looked like it was going to be a huge subject as of Saturday night. Really hit the social media platform that blew it up. I'm glad that that's out there because they drew some intriguing uh, components of it, and they actually did the research real quick when people were really just focusing on Marcus Smart um, going into the stand. And uh, putting his hands on the guy, which is an accurate disposal. But uh, obviously, he stated that he was called a name. Some are suggesting he was called the N word. He has never really said what was called. The guy admitted to, at the very least, calling him. <laughs> what was the quote he said? I call. I apologize for calling him uh, a piece of a uh, crap. Right. Or uh, whether it was the cuss word. Either way. My point is, is this is a 50-year-old man, in this case, happened to be European-American, white, Caucasian, whatever terminology you want to do, talking to a uh, student that happens to be playing the game of basketball that is a young man, 20-plus uh, years old, if you would, and in this case happens to be an African-American. So you juxtapose it against each other and the fact that he's calling him anything. And then they actually had a film before that where he gave a finger uh, to a Texas A&M player in that game. And you have the athletic director actually come out and said, yeah, I saw that, and said that I didn't think he was over the line. Right. I said, what are we saying when we allow adults to act like this versus our students, and then we have a concern all of a sudden of how 
the demeanor of our students and how they're supposed to act. That just doesn't make any sense to me. I have an issue with that. Uh, obviously, I'm not saying that Marcus Smart shouldn't have been suspended, but I have a problem when everything is laid at his feet in terms of what he's supposed to do, but there's no real conversation in terms of how fans should act and what's their uh, disposition of what they're supposed to do. Obviously, we fuss and make fun of what we call the soccer hooligans over in Europe, uh, but at least they have really did a tremendous job. And when I say they, I'm talking about FIFA in terms of how they would deal with issues. Right. They would rather have you play the game without anybody in the stands and care less about the money they're going to lose in terms of that, obviously, or uh, allowing those teams to actually record that as a loss because they don't know how to act over here. We just ignore it and say, hey, capitalistic be damned, uh, we're going to make the money at the at the case of these uh, young men, and in some cases even young women in terms of athletes that happen to be enrolled in colleges as students. And the fact that you're just going to say, all right, let's make this disappear, come out, do a quick apology, say you made mistakes, get your little suspension, we'll be back and everything okay and move forward. That's just amazing. It's and it's it's weird on a couple of levels. Um, you know, the fan's name is Jeff Ord, and you can Google him. He's a uh, Texas Tech touts him as their number one fan. He's traveled to road games all You're over really the country. Nice, I refuse to call him a fan. He, well, he follows fanatic. You know, short for fanatic. You know, what you. what what have But he's so known by Texas Tech as. as as Doc stated, Texas Tech put out a press release including him and or in the, you know or in a press release and stating that or interviews yep. uh, was saying that he, he called Marcus Smart a, a piece of crap. Um, it the, Marcus's initial reaction to me, a lot of folks on Twitter assumed he he heard he was called the N word. Yeah, and actually, if you slow down. The frame when he was coming out, and the guys, as rightly so, as well as the referee, were trying to calm right. the situation as they should. And you can read from his lip. He said, "If you call me in again," and he, they finally ushered him off. And then you also hear him telling the coach because they right. went on the radio. And then you have the case. Let's make sure that this is known. That twenty years ago, you have Oklahoma State alumnus Mason come on the radio and said that he was called that in other racial terms while he played. That's Roger Mason. Roger Mason. Mm-hmm. In ter- Desmond Mason. Desmond Mason, I'm sorry. Desmond yeah, Desmond Mason. Mason. Roger Mason. In terms of that. Was it? Yeah. As well as just recently um, somebody that we really are familiar from this area that also was a cowboy. Um, uh, John it? Lucas III. John Lucas mm-hmm. came out and also talked about. From that same fan. Yeah. So let's juxtapose all this information that we have and a good, this was the information that came from Twitter that brought all this to the table. And then these people came out later and were interviewed. So again, this is 20 years that this has gone on and nobody's dealt with this issue. Then you had the nerve and I'll pass it back to you to provide some different scopes of how we look at this. You actually had some people over there talking about how Jackie, Jackie Robinson in 1947 uh, didn't act in this way. You're talking about an individual that had to deal with a country that was trying to integrate baseball, assimilate African-Americans into the norm to see of the country as we know it today more so than not. And the fact you add the fact that 
his family believes, and I believe, that he died a young man in terms of age at the time, 51, uh, from all the stressors sure. and the disease associated sure. with having mm-hmm. to deal with this issue. And he was actually quoted as saying one of the things he regret, because this was a military vet. Mm-hmm. This was a college graduate person that we talking about. That's right. That you're dealing with the issues. They had to deal with this and found a way, and they selectively dealt with somebody that could deal with this. But even he said one of his regrets that he didn't take his black fist and put it against some of the faces of those that had called him and created all this distress. So those are some of the things that I say. Don't get it twisted. Uh, that, that, that was a different time, a different place. And just because one individual of the African-American dichotomy or diaspora decided to handle things in one way during this time doesn't mean that everybody uh, should have to deal with it in that manner. There's audio from, I, I believe, the videographer, camera guy that Marcus, when he was lunging out of bounds, knocked over. And in that audio, you hear someone say, piece of crap. I don't know. And it seems kind of, seems spliced. It just seemed, it, it seemed out of the ordinary because I can't, I choose, and this is my personal opinion, I choose to believe Marcus Smart would not have reacted the way he did simply because he heard someone call him a piece of crap. Absolutely. As much basketball as he played, he may only be a, may only be a sophomore in college. He's played basketball long enough Absolutely. in different environments to hear all kinds of stuff. Absolutely. So, for him to react the way he did and, and get up and push that person, it just that does not seem to it be. It doesn't add up. doesn't add up. Now, on another, and the last thing I will say before I give it back, mm-hmm. and even if that was the case, the thing that he called it, when we look at the lowest dichotomy of this discussion, even if that is true, that the only thing he was called was a piece of crap, I still have an issue with that. I do because it comes to a point of, Fans just can't say whatever they want to to players. High school, college, pro. On the pro level, it's, it could be simply because of jealousy of that, not the amount of money that athletes are making. But just because you bought your ticket, in some cases you may have been given a ticket, you know, you cannot say whatever you want to say to a player, to a coach, simply because it makes you feel better, makes you feel important, you know, or whatever. You know, I mean, it's, yes, this is America, and we have freedom of speech, but it's freedom of speech. But watch what you say. Yeah, it's it's is, about respect. It is freedom of speech, and people always like to throw that sure. out there. But if we want to get in that dichotomy, it is the freedom of speech until you provide a slander or you influence your freedom of speech upon somebody else's. So sure. your freedom of speech is not supposed to be out there, exposure of somebody else having to deal with that ramification. Because you can't yell fire in a crowded building. Right. You know, you can't just throw cast expressions on falsehoods on someone right. without with slander and all these things. That's exactly so, right. So, you know and it's sad that uh we still haven't come as far as we choose to believe we've come where people believe and say that they can get away with saying whatever they want to say about a player, about a coach. About about a cheerleader, about whatever. Yeah, under false pretenses that they are, as you said, fan for short for fanatic. Sure. Or simple respect, simple common decency that needs to extend both ways. Now, 
And that's one thing about Twitter. You got this fake tough people who can be anonymous and say what they want to say about someone without any perceived repercussions and things of that sort. So it's just a lot of different layers to this. And Marcus Martin's been suspended, was suspended by the Big 12 for three games for his reaction for pushing the fan. Um, Oklahoma State was already struggling. And Marcus Smart uh, read an article about the, basically chronicling his tough childhood, difficult childhood, watching a brother die, another brother um, being involved in gangs. And Marcus had a smart, had a horrible temper as a as a youngster. He would get in fights, pick fights in school daily. Yeah, um, and he went through anger management and things of that sort. That's why it still makes it difficult for me to believe that piece of crap was already hurt. Now we can get into another issue. I don't want to detract from what he did because he reacted, and that has to be dealt. That has, has to be dealt. With. He has to face the consequences for his actions. But another issue was I don't like the word the N word. Period. I don't use it at all. Correct. Okay. So one part of me is like, why would you get upset? Why do people of color, young men particularly, because we're, That's a fair. you know, get upset. Or let, it's okay for each other to yeah. call us that, but right. then you get upset when somebody who doesn't look like you call, call you that. Right. I don't understand that at all. Right. And I'm in agreement with you, but to, since we're going to breach on that conversation, I'd like to touch on it a little sure. bit. And I'm like with you. I grew up in a household that didn't use any combination or component of the N-word, the E-R or the A. Mm -hmm. As you see now, I don't even like to use it in terms of that. I'll go around it because I'm just not used to that. Right. I listen to rap music that has different frames of using that reference. And so I understand those that have a a framework of Mm -hmm. that and a reference to that and may even have a difficulty of it. But I'm not going to allow somebody to escape using that word and act as if we don't know the difference right. between when it's used in a derogatory manner, nor am I going to act like you don't know the difference between when you use it with the E-R versus an A at the end. So I'm not going to be foolish enough to allow somebody else to frame the argument in such a way that we even have that discussion in losing the framework of where we're going. Now, I think it's fair for us to have a discussion on that issue or whether it's appropriate for students to get mad. And I think that's a very um, tough uh, right. dialogue to have, but it is a necessary and fair. But at the bottom line, the first thing I would like to bring to the table, that there is definitely a difference when you're going to use that in terms of just an expersion of words between individuals that are using it in some dichotomy of a relationship. Versus somebody using it as in a derogatory sense. I think that needs to be dealt with and, and should not be subjugated for people to argue about back and forth, which is something that we often have that blame mentality sure. uh, over the years. And so we try to escape. And even though we know somebody else is doing it wrong, we have this safe self-hatred mentality oftentimes. So we'll still find a way to blame ourselves. The last part of that I will give to you as you hear in psychology and uh, sociology issues, you do not just have this with uh, African Americans using that terminology, but you also have this in other social ills in the world where oftentimes you want to blame the victim. So oftentimes, for example, something similar uh, to this kind of discussion you hear oftentimes is when you hear about a rape victim and we find a way to try to blame the victim 
of the rape and saying that she had a short dress. Right. Yeah, she was dressed she that way. She was asking for it. She was right. asking for mm-hmm. it. It's that same mentality that half the times uh, of those that are in positions of power find a way to try to put the blame back on the victim. And I think that's oftentimes what we do when we have this uh, conversation about what is appropriate for somebody else to call you outside of your group of your peers. And again, that doesn't just have to be a black or white issue or what have you. It could be young and old in terms of what's comfortable within their own dichotomy of a ethnic group. I, I agree with you. You know, it's, it's, it's a gray issue. It's not black and white. It's not clear cut one way or the other. Bottom line for me personally is I treat folks with respect. Thank you. Period. Keep I don't care. How, I don't care how old you are, how young you go out. You know, and, and some folks were saying, uh, he should know better. The, old, the fans should know better because he's a grown man. He's an adult. There are fools who are grown. That's there are right. fools who are 50 years old and, and you know, are, are fools. We so, see that every night. So it's all, every day in the it's all about respect. Both ways. Young, old, young, young, white, black, black, brown, black, yellow, <laughs> you know, et cetera. If you treat folks with respect, we don't have, the world would be a much better place based on that simple edict. If you treat folks with respect. Okay. This is the KG Fifth Ward Wildcat and Doc podcast. We have, we're going to talk about the Michael Sam issue, but let's get into some sports. Briefly, uh, one thing happened a week ago that shocked me. I thought would not happen this season, this conference season, was the University of Houston women's basketball team won a game in conference. Oh, you got to talk about it. You know, How did that happen? It was an ugly, and it was an ugly. It was not aesthetically pleasing. And it was a road game at that, too. They won at Cincinnati. This is this final score. 48-39. 48-39. Thirty-nine was the final score. That was last Saturday on the road for the Cougs get their first win. They improved to one and eleven in the American Athletic Conference. Then they had a home game on Tuesday this past Tuesday versus Rutgers, and were welcomed back to reality <laughs> by the Scarlet Knights. And uh, Rutgers won seventy-four forty-two. So you can see just by those two games that the Cougs have problems scoring: forty-eight in a win, forty-two in a loss. In the win over Cincinnati, the Bearcats only made one three-pointer the entire game. And they were over for the first half. Neither team shot 30%. I think the Cougs shot 27%. Bearcats shot 28%, something like that. So it was a horribly shot game. I saw it on the digital network for the American. The game was not pleasing to watch. Turnovers, bricks from both teams. Bottom line is the Cougs played less ugly it was not as than Cincinnati. Right. But it's a win. So they don't. They will not go 0 for 18 in the conference like I thought they would. They may go 1 and 17. So still not great. They are still looking at uh, getting a new head coach. Uh, the AD Mac Rhodes was at the Tuesday's loss to Rutgers. He was there, so he is taking notes. And I still have my list of coaches who contacted me about the job. I had one coach contact me yesterday. She is still interested in the job. I am not going to make names public for a few more weeks because seasons are still going on. I don't want to disrespect any current coaching staff or get cause any drama with any players on those staffs for those coaches. But yes, trust me, I'm still getting contacted about the job. And it comes down to one of the things that the coaches want to know is how serious 
the University of Houston is about winning and is uh, committed to winning. So that's that issue there. Uh, U of H is playing SMU right now as we speak on the road. U of H men are playing right now on ESPNU versus Cincinnati, trying to uh, go with a two-game win streak for the men. Cincinnati lost to SMU, and which brings you to another issue. SMU's playing some good basketball. SMU's playing great basketball on the men's side. They are now the, the better team in the conference, better Texas team in the American Athletic Conference. And Three I point. tweeted this, that the Cougs men's basketball program has work to do to catch up to SMU, let alone Cincinnati, Connecticut, the other Memphis, the other team in the conference. they got to be as good as SMU in the state. That's a good that's a heck of a statement. Uh, SMU Good point. revamped, remodeled Booty Coliseum. Already, it's done. Right. Uh, U of H still Looks has not broken too. ground on re- renovating. Hawfines is in the works. are getting closer. I think it's going to uh, begin in May once the season is over. But the bar has been raised in the state by SMU, let alone the teams, other conference members in the conference. And Larry Brown... I'm going to say this, and it, I think it's it's opinion, so I'm going to, I won't even say it's a fact. But I do believe that, and we, we do this, everybody does this, if this, if that, we talk about hypotheticals and all these things. If Larry Brown were coaching the Cougars, they'd be in the same position that, that SMU is under Larry Brown right now. A very I believe close, they'd be very close to a it. tournament I think, team. I, I think there are some talented players, which is a direct reflection of who he recruited. That make may make a slight difference in terms of overall record, but I definitely think your point should be made that they would be in a much better position if everything was the same, except for just changing the coaching positions in terms of what he's able to do. And he he's has done it at every level in most of the places that he's been. So obviously, it's not just about him being able to get a lot of pieces together. It's everything that he brings to the table that allows him to dictate that a program is going to be much better after he leaves it and while he's there versus what preceded him. Yes. Well put. Uh, Rice Styles, everybody's playing this weekend. Rice, women, U of H, women, everybody's playing this weekend. Great weekend. TSU is at home. Um, we got, need a win bad. They, they, yes, they oh, took yes. a tough loss. They lost three in a row, including a loss last Saturday to a rival. What you predicted on the last podcast. Thank you. Uh, I think they'll jump back to the win column tonight uh, just to get that off of the record. So it's not that I'm just pulling against them. Well, they but played Grambling State. So, I mean, right. Grambling had, they won the first They finally game. won the first one. We have to put that out there. Grambling finally got a win. Surprised me. Uh, I thought they had a chance, as you were talking about, the women of U of H. To go over 18 in terms of men's basketball. And this was a streak that went back some 40 games in right. conference play. Right. 41 games, if I'm not mistaken. So it was good to see them get to the win. And they scored college. 90, 94 points. Yeah, they put up some points. Yeah. They played some basketball. Yeah. And they played some pretty good games this year in terms, but usually just don't have enough down the stretch to get it done. But yeah, one thing, Texas Southern just plays a great deal better at home. Fan support. Not to be that it's anything to shout home about, but it's it's quaint, it's loud from the student section in terms of how they do, and they're just a more comfortable playing at home, right. so they're able to uh, get away with some of their defensive liabilities that they can't do obviously on the road 
in a tough environment when oftentimes calls just don't go your way. So those are some things you can look at from a HBCU perspective. Now, what's going to be interesting with Prairie View, uh, they seem to be kind of up and down. They have a tough one. They found a way to get a win against Jackson State on the road, but they're a type of team that can easily lose that game at home. They need this game tonight to kind of continue to push themselves in the right position because you would think they'd have a good shot to win on Monday against Grambling. So if they can get this game at home, uh, they move from the 500 position and now are like 7-5 and five right. if they get those two wins sure. headed in the right direction. So this is a big weekend for both these teams. There's a log jump in the SWAC uh, before those games that were played on Monday that kind of shifted some things out. But before Monday, you had five teams that were at 5-5 five and five in the conference standing. That makes it real interesting as we go down the stretch in the SWAC. Now, the other thing I'd like to add when you look at HBCU sports, particularly in the SWAC, is the fact that Southern just announced this past weekend that they got a letter, the second one, of a 30-day letter that they have to get certain information uh, back to the NCA, which is the CAP, which is the coordinator of, of the APR, APA, APR issues that says is that if they can't get some of the information in terms of grade sheets, uh, in terms of certifying how well they're doing in terms of their players, that they will not be eligible in March. Wow. Did not know that. For both men's and women's. Well, it just came out. Okay. So it's hot off the block. And I that's mean, why you're part of the podcast, Doc. I yeah. appreciate it. Yeah. And Baton Rouge. So that's something to keep an eye on and interesting in. Trust me, this is the same issue that Texas Southern, those that may be listening to our podcast in this area that are a little familiar, this is similar to what Texas Southern had to do when they went under that NCA cap. Uh, in 2006, uh, it took them about six years to get through this, and they're just now coming yep. outside of that in basketball and in football. It's still kind of dealing with some of the ramifications of that issue in terms of how it depletes you. And they had to totally restructure the compliance office. So those are some of the tough things that are going through Southern. You see this in terms of Alabama State. Jackson State went through this. Grambling, you see what one of the reasons why they're being so horrible in terms we just talked about them their inability to get victories obviously in basketball not only there but also in football is part of this uh regulations that uh do this and to close it out on this to give people a framework this is not supposed to be but maybe a 17 16 week process they've been reviewing this since 2011 if you will they got a letter in November, 90 days before this, saying, hey, if we can't get this straight, we're basically going to shut down the athletic department in terms of none of your teams will be eligible for postseason. So it starts with men's and basketball because they always try to allow you to get stuff straight with the current sport. But then it's going to roll into the spring, which is track and field, softball, right, right, and baseball. Yep. Worse yet, back in the fall, you're talking about football. This is yep. a University that just came off a championship run in mm-hmm. football. Yep. Now you're going to tell them they ain't going to be eligible? Woo. Not good. Not good at all. And, and I hate to see that happen to HBCUs, many schools, but specifically HBCUs because we have enough problems as it is. You know, no question about it. You know, with the funding and, and all the things that the difficulties that HBCUs have. And to see the academic issues persist, it, you know, it, 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 it 
bothered me on, on a lot of levels. And yes, and I've said it before, you know, I'm a U of H graduate. I didn't go to HBCU. But I have spent more and more time in recent years uh, spending time with, spending time around and covering HBCU. So it, it, it still is a, it's close to my heart. And give me a moment, Doc, you know, I touched on it in the last podcast at an upcoming sports panel. The panel was last Saturday at, oh, at Prairie View uh, Northwest uh, Campus Facility. Nice facility. I've never been there before uh, last Saturday. I was proud to have you. And had a chance to speak with uh, my, my colleagues and friends, Max Edison of The Defender, Jerome Solomon of The Houston Chronicle, and David Nunio of, of ABC 13. And we spoke to uh, college students from from Grambling, Norfolk, Norfolk State. I'm surprised to see them in town for this. Uh, Preview. See, Grambling State, Norfolk State, Grambling, uh, Jackson State. Uh, so it was a nice yeah, mixture. Yeah, you talking about traveling all the way from Norfolk, Virginia. Yeah. So it was good to, represent Norfolk State. to answer their question, to speak to them. And, the Spartans. And it was good to listen to them and the issues they faced. And it's interesting that that, that on campus, some of those schools are have tried to censor their school papers. Yes. Uh, for for being for bringing negative attention to the program or negative attention to a, a, a that's right the track team or the basketball team or the football team, what have you. And they ask us how they're bringing problems to the table, and administrators see it as negative. Right. News. Go ahead. And you know, and Jerome Solomon said, "Point, but they can't do that. You know, if you have any issues." If the schools are trying to censor you, let your local city newspaper know, and we'll make that issue known nationwide, and we'll handle that a different way because they can't do that. They cannot censor. That's right. You know, journalism. Bottom line. So, I love I love empowering the students. As a professor, I tell my students all the time, I'm only as good as you all allow me to be in terms of creating the body of information such that they can be powerful. I'm glad you shared that with them. That's powerful. So, you know, it was a, a great experience for us. We enjoyed it. Hopefully get a chance to do it again. Who was in, the host? In the future. We we hosted it. I mean, Preview was the host. It was a national event. Uh, Dr. Lewis Smith was the organizer of it. But he allowed us to, the leeway to basically facilitate the discussion with the students. So it was it a was, uh, free-for-all discussion. But, you know, we, we've done it enough. And Jerome basically took it over for us and, and organize it good. while we were there. So it was it was nicely done, and I enjoyed being a part of it, and it was good seeing uh, some of the guys there. I hadn't seen them in a, in a few weeks or whatever, so it was good. Because I learned from, you know, Max and Jerome have, have taken me under their wings and helped me grow and, and helped me help the Houston Round Bar View get better. And in my own little way, I think I've helped them in certain issues as well. So, and Dave Nunez, I've known since Dave worked with the Rockets back in the Comet days when the Comets were in town. He he wow. started interning and handling some of the comedy relations stuff. So I've known all of those guys for years. So it was it was, it was an enjoyable experience for us, and I hope the students uh, got something out of it. And I know a few of them already followed me on Twitter as well from from that uh, panel. So it's good to help. As we've talked about in previous podcasts, it's always good to help bring others along with us and help them because somebody helped us get to where we are. Absolutely. Always uh, extending that hand back as we continue to move forward. Well, along, ahead, with, along with that, before we move forward, is also I had the uh, opportunity that was on campus, uh, part of that journalism 
week mm-hmm. that Prairie View was having and hosting these students. They also brought down Steve Stephen A. Smith right. from ESPN's First Take. No matter how you may feel one way or the other, he did a pretty good job. And his main message in that, and which is not a bad message to students, I think maybe some of the professors and other people that are, in, that are independent in the field may not have uh, really totally agreed with that. But he talked about students understanding the importance of the corporate setting and if you want to go in that field, how to make sure that you're prepared and, and understanding the capitalistic component of generating revenue for that organization. So it seemed like the students got a lot out of it. One thing I will really commend him on at the end, he asked students do out during the presentation not to take pictures uh, with their phones, but he said that they would have opportunity at the end. And in the auditorium, pretty good-sized auditorium, uh, with the full stage, he had students all the way across the stadium, halfway across the stadium, and back up the aisle to outside of the auditorium or just outside of the auditorium, lined up. And he literally stayed there 15, 20 minutes after his presentation, uh, allowing each student to come across that wanted to shake his hand and take a picture, um, and he did that. And so I, I commend him on uh, uh, doing that in terms of part of his presentation, and I think he did a really solid job in terms of providing that information to students. So as a Prairie View grad, I was really excited to see that, uh, as you talk about an institution that gave you opportunity to earn your degree there, that they continue to move forward in terms of bringing in uh, individuals that help students position themselves to take advantage of their career opportunities and career goals. So I was excited about that. Then the basketball game kicked off, so it was a great weekend. Right, and he, I think he spoke (laughs) on campus, and then he was scheduled to speak at the Northwest facility that evening as well. So he was in town. I had other stuff to do, so I didn't get a chance to speak to him. I've met him when he's been in town previous years at Rocket Games and talked to him a couple times. He he is what he is on TV. There's no pretense about him whatsoever. So what you see on TV is what you get. That's right. So, uh, which I can appreciate. Yes, definitely. Um, let's go ahead and talk about it real quick. There's not really much, I don't believe, to get along with the discussion regarding Michael Sam coming out. I agree with you. So, um, Missouri defensive, defensive lineman in college at Missouri, mm-hmm. you know, co defensive player of the year in, in the, the SEC, SEC, stated over the weekend on Sunday that he is, he is a openly gay male gay athlete, and he's getting ready for the NFL Combine. NFL Draft is, I think, in April. Right. I think. And the feedback from some of the NFL scouts, teams, kind of, well, didn't really surprise me. Some folks say, uh, Mel Kiper, director of scouting, whatever you, you believe in, you follow him, said he had Michael Sam as a, I think, fourth-round pick initially, before all of this. And then there were some scouts, anonymous quotes, saying that they didn't want the distractions in the locker room, so he'd, he'd be undrafted. Then uh, there's some folks that say third to, third to fifth round based on, you know, he's not they quick enough. He's tweener. not athletically. He's a tweener. The interesting thing, he's, he could be a 3-4 outside linebacker in my eyes already because he's 6'2", 260. Right. So that does not seem to be a problem size-wise anyway. You know, football is not my not – my, Main sport, but I've known enough football, probably enough football over the years that I know that there that if, if if you are a good coach, have a good staff, and somebody can play, 
you can put a position in for them to excel in whatever position you need. If it's third downs, if it's special teams, if it's whatever, you can find a way to get them to be productive and help the team win. And I believe Michael Sam is the type of player and young man that he will do whatever it takes to win. So the feedback that I've heard, the negative feedback regarding him, well, he's a tweener, he's not this, he's not that. It, it wasn't even the fact that he's, he's homosexual. It was folks saying that, well, he's not going to be drafted. It was a cloud. It was their way of saying he's not going to be drafted because he'd be a distraction. And then, oh, Dale Harvey, uh, yeah, that was in, I think, the Dallas area. And I've listened to Dale, you know, yeah, Dale. He's on the Dallas, uh, on the Cowboys. Yeah. You know, that's where I first that's heard of him because show. he does the Cowboys, the Cowboys football years ago. He did the a legend in that area is right. what you're speaking oh, of. Yes. And he did a, a commentary that you can see on the internet, Google it. I, I posted on my Facebook page, et cetera, et cetera, basically saying, and it was oh three minutes of opinion, but he he took the task with the distraction label that folks have said or use as a reason for not drafting Michael Sam is oh it's okay for uh, to have wife beaters, it's okay for murderers to be on teams to be drafted, but it's not okay for an, another man to love another man, really. And then he tied it in even better, saying, years ago, people thought that having African-American players on, on the NFL teams would be a distraction. And then it took years after that for us to finally get African-American quarterbacks to be to overcome the, well, you know, blacks don't think well enough to be on quarterbacks. Those were, quote, unquote, distractions that people didn't want to deal with because it made them uncomfortable. Well. If you're still uncomfortable with having a openly gay male on your football team, that's your, your problem. That's not Michael Sam's problem. And it does not act like there have not been gay athletes in the <laughs> NFL for as long as the NFL has been around. Correct. You know, just like in, in the other four professional sports. That's right. Those that they just chose not to make it public because of the fear and ridicule and scorn and whatever that they would probably get from those closed-minded people who didn't want to accept it. And know, let's whatever. take it even further. Let's not act like it wasn't people in the locker room as well as management and ownership that knew a lot of this. Yeah. But because those individuals basically kept it quiet, they didn't deal with the issue either. So let's not just say that only they kept it quiet. It's a lot of people that knew this stuff, but because they kept it quiet, they didn't get it out there. So to kind of sum it up, as you're talking about bringing in some excellent points, I think it, in totality, it, it really is a non-issue, but for the fact that many of us, whether it's those individuals that made the com comment in leadership positions or as well as media, which we are a part of in terms of what we bring to the table, want to make it an issue. And I think that's the bigger platform that we need to talk about. It's only an issue because, as you saliently say it, is people want to make it an issue and if that is the fact that's a personal thing because people do have personal agendas or personal dichotomies that they self-govern themselves whether it's that's morally religiously politically you know social economically components which are fine but again that's a personal thing right and you need to get over it and deal with that issue because he has to deal with his own and it's it's to me it's not an, an issue at all and it's just personally for me I don't 
I don't want to come across as flippant when I say this, but I don't care who someone is sleeping with in the privacy of their own lives. It's not my business. The only time any of this, any of someone's private life is my business is if it involves me and my couple and something that's how, that's how I'm involved. I Other than that, well, I don't, I don't understand why society makes this a big deal anyhow. Yeah. You know, who someone is spending their time with privately is their business and why this is an issue. And, and there will be media once the draft, NFL draft approaches and, and if Michael Sam is drafted or if he signs with the team as a free agent and the mini camps and all those things, there will be reporters who make this, as you touched on, an issue bigger than it really is. And, by asking all his teammates what do you think about Michael being the opening gay man. My line is the players should say point blank. If he helped us win, I don't care. Yeah, and most of them will say it. You know, and um, clearly, and Michael knows this, and I will say this. It surprised me in this day of social media and Twitter and Facebook and the whatever, kick me, kick Snapchat stuff, all those kind of things. Right. That he told his Missouri teammates before last season began, and they respected him. They kept that a secret, and no one knew about it. I think that was probably one of the better news stories about right. this fact, that he was able to tell a team, and you've seen some subsequent news flashes of people on the team and how they quickly came to the fence. And actually, in my opinion, I think it actually galvanized that team and brought that team even closer together that ended up providing them the level of success in, in a modicum of a way of what we've seen them able to do to go through the SEC East and end up playing for the SEC Championship, although they did lose it. Right. I think part of that particular team, you can tell how special they really were in terms of how they dealt with that issue. And I think they should get a, even more of the new story. Again, I bring this to the attention that we're talking about young men that were actually acting probably more mature than a lot of people that cheer, cover them, and coach them all around them. Yeah. You know, those young men give me hope for the future. No question about it. You know, I can say it better myself. You know, I mean, clearly, we can say how we want people to behave and we hope people behave with and treat people with respect, but we, we know that does not happen. We see it every day. You, t- you touched on it. We see it on on TV. We see it in newspaper. We see it on Facebook. We see it on Twitter. The name calling, the hatred spewed out by some vitriol. people, the vitriol spewed out by some people toward folks who they have never met before, may never meet in life. Right. And they just, because people don't look like them, don't think like them, don't believe what they believe, they feel they are justified in just Venomous, just venom thrown out there, and I, I just I don't understand all that. But we discussed all those things, Doc. Who are you? How can folks find you on the internet and social media and etc. Enlighten Definitely. us. Thank you. I'm Dr. Kenyatta Cavill, a professor of sports management that actually uh, brought the program to Texas Southern University. I'm still here at Texas Southern University lecturing in the sports management program in the Department of Health Kinesiology right here at in Houston, Texas. I'm also responsible for Dr. Cavill's HBCU sports poll rankings, if you would, top 10. We're in basketball season, so I do it for men's and women's. 
basketball, also for football, and you'll see me as we move into baseball, also putting out a poll for that sport as well. You can find my polls, which I'm really happy to announce, at thrr.com. That is the Houston Round Ball Review. That day views for the major division, uh, Sunday night, Monday, and then for the mid-major division, Monday night, Tuesday. So you can look for that poll, uh, the remaining of the season, uh, hopefully remaining in the future as we carry this partnership forward. So I'm really excited about that announcement that you can tie in all the other stuff that you're getting into a basketball source and write that because on the football season, I'm able to do that with the collegesportingnews.com. So I'm really excited about that partnership and can't say that enough. But you can also follow me on social media platforms. That's Instagram. I have a picture. Uh, just as we talked about Stephen A. Smith, I put that on Instagram to kind of give you a dichotomy of what I put on there. Also, I travel and provide um, resources as well as uh, presentations for different avenues of sports, mainly from the business side, oftentimes particularly with HBCU sports, but on general social perspectives as well. And I travel, so I'll put on pictures over there if I'm in, for example, Trinidad when I went to their earlier Canada up there in Quebec as I travel around the country and the world to some degree. Uh, getting those things done. So you can follow me on the social media platforms, uh, Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Dr. Kenyatta Cavill. That's D-R-K-E-N-Y-A-T-T-A-C-A-V-I-L. That's D-R-K-E-N-Y-A-T-T-A-C-A-V-I-L. Obviously, I'm on some different radio platforms. If you want to hear different segments of me presenting HBCU sports and those kind of news that comes out whenever they hit the story, I try to bring it to them. We had one where we looked at the top 10 ranking of HBCU sports in terms of recruiting. So I provide different things like this. The breaking news I put out there on this podcast with Southern, not possibly not being eligible for the basketball tournament. So you'll hear different news and stuff like that. So if you're a particular follower of HBCU sports, you definitely want to follow me and listen to me. But if you're just a fan of general sports as well, I welcome you to the table. One last thing I'll bring is you can hit me directly on email at kcaville at thd-agency.com, as well as listen to you on those radio sitcoms in terms of I'll give you that information if you send me an email, which is out of Baton Rouge, Richmond, Virginia, and right here in Houston, KCOH, uh, 1230, in terms of what's going on in the HBCU landscape. Thank you for that. Sure, of course. And I'm KG of the Houston Round Ball Review, and, and I am very happy to have uh, Doc's Top 10 Rankings as part of the Houston Round Bar Review uh, website, weeks five and six are on the site. You can see the uh, link on the homepage of the, the Round Bar Review. I look forward to uh, posting week seven, major and mid-major women's and men's basketball in a few days. Um, I'm on Facebook. We have a Houston Round Bar Review Facebook fan page, and we will have the uh, podcast fan page done by the end of this month. Also on Twitter at THR Review. On Instagram at Houston Round Ball Review. I'm on, uh, have the Houston Round Ball Review channel on YouTube as well. Rockets win Wednesday over the Washington Wizards. was a lot closer than folks thought. At one point, they were up by 19 points. But before the game, Dwight Howard had the microphone to thank the fans for voting for he and James Harden to the All-Star Game, which is this weekend. The festivities going on in New Orleans. 
that video, a little snippet is posted on YouTube. I have the link on the homepage right under um, Dr. Doc's link to uh, the HBCU rankings. So you can check out the little 30-second snippet of Dwight Howard being a little bit goofy, as Dwight Howard is sometimes. But he also stated to the fans, he thanked them and also reminded them that one of his goals for this season is to win an NBA championship. And with the fan support, he hopes that the Rockets can accomplish that goal this season. So you can listen to that as on the website, a couple of, couple of things here. We've touched on touched on this issue in previous podcasts about how we would we hope for a city classic on this, especially the women's side in town, but also men's side also. But between Houston Baptist, TSU, Rice, those four specifically, then you can rotate and you have Prairie View going a little further out than Texas A&M also, and then maybe even San Houston State, etc. Got some positive feedback as Wildcat touched on. Also, he did mention to us that HBU listens to our podcast. We appreciate that. We know that for sure. And Coach Finney, she had her team listen to the podcast. So that happens. And she let me know that she is very much in favor of a, a city classic involving the four Houston area teams playing. Thinks it's a great idea to for attendance, for interest, just to boost interest in the sport of women's college basketball here in town. Thank you, Coach. Very smart move. So we hope that gets done. It hasn't been done in the in previous years. And in I, any way, we can support that. Definitely. And, you know, as a Cougar alum, I, you know, I've dealt with the negative reaction from their perspective regarding it. I don't understand it. I don't agree with it. But hopefully it will get done. Well, I, I think from that, and we won't want to be too long on that, sometimes when you want to be in a certain position, you don't necessarily look at what it means to grow. Um, the entire segment, which allows you to grow, but you selfishly look at only protecting yourself and not understanding sometimes that can really harm you more than it really helps you. And that's just people not really looking at the bigger picture. Well put. Because right now, all four teams, Houston, Houston area teams, are in different conferences. They're all Division One now, the HBU being in Southland, Texas Southern in the SWAC, Rice in the Conference USA, and U of H in the American Athletic Conference. So they're all Division One level. So I think playing amongst themselves would be a great idea, and it save them some money on travel costs, give you a better chance to market the event to your alums, to the city, to the high school students, high school players, student athletes you want to that you're trying to recruit. And bottom line, I think the rising tide could float all the boats if you do it well and market it well, well and get everyone playing well, because I think it'd be great for all if all four teams at some point in the future, on a regular basis, participate in the NCAA tournament. That's what we want. So that's that's the ultimate goal right there, is for them to get to the tournament, for them to boost attendance, for everybody to do well on all levels, academically and athletically, and then in the, in the stands to you know wrap it up. A few days ago, uh, the NCAA committee, uh, Division One cabinet on the women's side, made up official what was suggested by Val Ackerman's white paper a few months ago, that uh, beginning in 2015, the preliminary rounds, first and second rounds of the Division One Women's Basketball Championship will now take place Friday through Monday. So that'll be a Friday, Sunday for one set. And then Saturday, Monday for the other set. That'll begin next tournament, next year's tournament. I'm beginning in 2017. The final four 
will go from Sunday, Tuesday to Friday, Sunday. Uh, I'm not sure how much how that's going to if that will improve attendance because even if you have the semifinals on Friday, mm-hmm. if you have the open practices on Thursday, it's the day, day before the semifinals, alums and fans will still have to get there Wednesday. So they're still missing work. Either it's Thursday, Friday, days off for, for work, or, you know, getting there Wednesday night for Thursday, Friday for the open practice, things like that. So we'll see how it all plays out. Uh, this year's Final Four, women's Final Four will be in Nashville. You know, Wildcat and I have already been approved with the credential, and we're going to work on getting Doc approved in future Final Fours. And Thanks. it'd be interesting with well, 2017 being the first year of the Friday-Sunday format if the city of Houston is awarded that particular Final Four. Those uh, decisions will be made by the NCAA, I believe, in November of this year. Okay. city of Houston is one of the final the finalists for uh, to host the Women's Final Four in the 2017 through 2020 time frame. And we'll see how that all plays out. A few other notes. We mentioned, we predicted, uh, we discussed a little bit very briefly about Connecticut Louisville, the top five matchup taking place uh, this past Sunday. And, Doc, I believe you said you had Connecticut winning by at least 20. Mm-hmm. I think all of us said that, I believe. We were all wrong. UConn won by 17. They beat Louisville. Jerry said it under 20. Okay, well, then kudos to the Wildcats then. I know I, I know I didn't say that. Yeah, I know I said above, but I, if I recall, and we have to pull up the podcast, I know our listeners will get it straight. But if I'm not mistaken, I think Jerry said that. So, I'm, I'm you know, it was and he said that it was like a seven or nine point game at halftime. Wow. Then UConn okay. made a, UConn does, UConn does, went on a burst there, went up by 20, 22 yeah. in the second half. And Louisville, Play without their starting point guard, uh, Bria Smith, miss, missed her second game due to injury. Mm-hmm. And her absence was felt. But uh, I saw some things. I watched the game. I finished watching it Friday because of busy schedule and everything. I saw some things in there that I do believe Louisville, with a healthy Bria Smith, could give UConn problems. Uh, they play, they'll play again the final game of the conference season, I believe on March 3rd, as part of a Big Monday. And uh, everybody expects them to meet a third time in the conference championship of the American Athletic Conference. So that could be a third possible meeting for them. And then based on bracketing and seeding, they couldn't meet a possible fourth time in the in the final four. So I still believe Notre Dame is the best is the team with the best chance to beat Connecticut. Mm-hmm. Uh, what I saw in the Sunday's game, I think Louisville could do it as well. So that leaves me two teams now that, that I think and plus Connecticut, let me get this news out. Uh, the Huskies announced on Friday that All-American forward Kalina Amaskeda-Lewis will miss three to six weeks with mononucleosis. So if she misses six weeks, then we're really getting close to tournament time. Right. You know, Final Four time, really. So uh, we'll see how that plays out. And the Huskies are only down to roughly seven healthy bodies. Um, you know. That's a feat in itself. So they only have nine... Yeah, players tough. on scholarship, they have a couple of walk-ons, uh, one of their guards. Attrition uh, of numbers. So, yeah, they already no how lost Morgan Tuck after the knee surgery that she had uh, in January. Mm. So, without Kalina now, the numbers are dwindling. But I will say this, though, and during the broadcast, 
Mm-hmm. Um, Rebecca Lobo and Pam Ward were doing the game. The Huskies average only committing 12 fouls a game. That just blows me away considering how well they play defense. So only commit an average of 12 fouls a game tells a couple things. Either they playing great defense by moving their feet. I just want to say that tells you all about the feet. Or the opponents don't do a good enough job attacking them and making them move their feet and use their hands to, to catch up if they got beat. So, because they got in foul trouble. That's one thing. They get digging into foul trouble against Louisville. You know, Stephanie Dolson, Brianna Stewart, and they got, I think they each had four fouls as the game wound down. The game was already over, numbers-wise, but they did pick up four fouls uh, themselves during that game. So, if the, you know, if you got less bodies as the season progresses and you have, they're going against a team like Notre Dame and maybe a possibly a healthy Louisville who can get into that bench, then we'll see how Coach Oriema is a fantastic coach, but if he doesn't have the bodies to go to, you know, what, what can you do? He gets a little more interesting then. So we'll see how it all plays out there. But, uh, that's, just want to touch on that, and that's one thing we do at our podcast is we tr- also discuss and try to give attention and recognition to women's basketball, unlike other outlets. Another thing that I know Jerry would want to bring to the table for you here is the fact that uh, the metal bats, the ping, is upon us as softball on the women's side mm-hmm. and baseball on the men's side. Softball opened up last week and baseball opened up debuting this week. So those local teams are in action and Definitely by the next podcast, we'll give you a little more information in terms of what those teams did opening up softball and baseball. I know for a fact that uh, Texas Southern University's women's softball team had a big win over a Division One program as they opened up the season last week, 11-2. And I know on baseball side, I know U of H men opened the season Friday with, I think, a 3-0 win over North Bowl State. Let me see if I'm pulling up the schedule here, but I think it was 3-0. Nickel State, I think, was right. Um, so there, Cougars are in town. Yeah, it was Nickel State. They're playing a series this weekend versus Nichols. Mm-hmm. Uh, and one of the things that uh, Colleen Joseph Duarte of the Chronicle said would be, could be a, an issue for the Cougars baseball team this year was, would be pitching, could be pitching. So, throughout the season with the shutout, could be a, a good sign for the baseball team with Coach Whitting and his players there. So, bringing that uh, perspective also with Texas Southern, they traveled up to play Jackson State. I was going to play, I believe, South Dakota State, and they'll play everybody two games there. They did play Jackson State last week, I mean Friday, yesterday. Lost 4-2, to very well-played contest. This is a Texas Southern team that does the opposite, believes that they should have the arm, particularly in the conference play. And then just down the road with Prairie View, what's going to be interesting with them um, making the tournament a couple of years ago and making a run last year in terms of the number number two team in that division is they opened a new stadium. Uh, the first couple of games will be off campus, back towards Houston in the Acre home over there at the uh, RBI uh, Baseball Astro Stadium in terms of where they'll play the first couple of games until they get everything done with the baseball stadium on, on campus. Now, was, who was picked to win the SWAT? Was it TSU baseball? TSU? No, I think Southern was okay, picked to win the SWAT in baseball. And then they could have Southern with their eligibility problems. That could be a whole other thing that gets done. Definitely baseball right. Because Prairie's picked second. Correct. Okay. Uh, softball, UVA softball, uh, briefly. Now, Texas Southern is picked on the softball. Right. In terms of that. Uh, they split their open game yesterday. They beat San Houston State 11-5, and then lost 4-1 to 8th-ranked 
Nebraska. Uh, so, you know, they're playing a top top ten ranked team right off the bat. That's how that's how they because their goal, the U of A's goal, they have not made it to the College World Series. They've been to the regional finals, super regional. But this year is they're trying to get and I did see a video clip on YouTube is Good. this year's team is focused they're very athletic. Mm-hmm. They're focusing on winning games with power. Speed and power this year. So we'll see how that all plays out. So I'm gonna try to catch a few games that they're they're playing the Saturday today versus Army and San Diego State and I think Sunday will be maybe Army and Nebraska as well. I'm gonna try to get to catch a few games, baseball and softball. That's as a as an alum, not as a media person, but just sit in this crowd, catch some sun and su- support my, my university. Beautiful thing. I love baseball and softball just to sit out there in the stand. Game in the old ballpark. So is there anything else that you want to touch on real quick, sir? No, that was really everything. I just knew that we wanted to make sure we gave some love to baseball and softball. Uh, I know Jerry would want to make sure that we do that, and we wish him uh, well as we believe he'll be back shortly. Because I know the listeners miss what he brings to the table. Without a doubt. And uh, thank you very much, Doc, for getting us to do this today. Uh, not even going. I don't. Not even worry about when the next one's going to be. We'll just play it by ear and we'll get it together, and make it happen. We're getting close to uh, conference tournament time, basketball wise. Uh-huh. So March uh, madness. And I want to be, let me say this. Speaking of that, because we have the SWAC men's and women's basketball championship will be in Houston at Toyota Center. The Southland tournament will be in Katy at the Merrill Center. Right. I've applied for credentials for both of those. Um, I've already spoken with, with the Southland media folks, and I think I'll have a good chance of being approved for that credential. As I didn't realize this. He sent me the schedule for, for the tournament. Only eight teams, top eight teams, will qualify for the tournament on men's and women's side. And I believe there are 14 or 16 teams in the league. So the format is unique. And the first day of the tournament, the first four seeds get buys. So the first day, five seed plays eight seed, six, play, six seed plays seven seed. Then a winner of those two games will play the third seed or the fourth seed. So the, so the top two seeds get a double buy. Their first two games won't be until the semifinals of the tournament. So that's a unique way of uh, scheduling things. We'll see how it plays out. I guess it may kind of interesting to see the logic of that. I guess the thinking is give their top seed a better chance of it reaching the, the tournament and avoid upsets. And, you know, that's fine. I respect that. But you know how some conferences believe that they want to give all their members a chance to get to the big dance. Yeah, and I can give you an example, as you said, right across the street, that's going to be here in Houston is the SWAC. They have the mentality that they want to market the tournament so the best way to market the tournament is to get all 10 teams there, thinking that all 10 teams' fans, to some degree, will be in the area and will come to the game. Southland seems to have always done this because previous, before they decided to go back to a off-site facility, if you recall, a couple of years ago, before they took it to Katy mm-hmm. uh, and started with that, they actually played the game on the top-seeded right. team in the conference, and they would play the last that time, I think only four to maybe six teams made the tournament, and they were playing in this way. There were 14 teams in the Southland, so your point that you made there in terms of the total number of teams versus bringing the top eight teams. Now, that's a couple of things it does uh, marketing-wise as we look at this and, and 
bring a sport management business component to it, if you would, is obviously it does give your top team a better seed, but it also makes the regular season have more value, uh, which is a marketing component of itself uh, that you see done in football in terms of the regular season having such much so much weight. So that's one thing to consider when you use this uh, format as well versus the other format from a business platform when you bring all 10 teams, in this case really all 20 because you're talking about men's and women's right. uh, from that platform. You try to galvanize and get your team there. Now the problem you have with that is that you have to be in a place where you have a large set of the alumni groups that generally follow all swag and versus not just their team because if their team falls out early, which you don't always see no matter how big the tournament is, even in like the ACC, uh, Big East, Big 12, if you and, and talk about early games in their tournaments uh, because they're doing the week when people are working and right. during the day, they usually have empty seats as well. So if you do not have that type of conference family atmosphere, which you see in the CIAA, for example, then oftentimes people will leave or won't ever show up even though you have all 10 teams there. So there's some good business decisions that you really need to look at and look at the data and try to figure out strategically where do you want to go as a conference and where do you think your fan base and what do they want to see before you decide which direction you're going to go in of rewarding the regular season play and trying to give your best team the opportunity to make the tournament, particularly when you know you're basically a one-bid lead into the NCAA dance. Definitely. And on the on the men's side – Talking Southland basketball here on the podcast. How, how, how about that? But uh, and I'm I'm cool with that because we have Houston Baptist in the league now. Um, on the men's side, they've already had I think two or three teams qualify for the tournament. Yeah, three teams have already qualified for the tournament: Stephen F. Austin, uh, Sam Houston State, and Texas A&M Corpus Christi. So, and Stephen F. Austin and Sam Houston State play today at 4 p.m. SFA. Is uh in first place by two games. They're undefeated at twelve and zero, and Saint Houston State is ten and two. So they're the one or two teams doing battle today in the Battle of the Piney Woods. You know those two I teams. Love I love that name, Battle so of the Piney Woods. We already got three teams of the eight. Shout out to, to my Sam Houston alums as I took some of my sports management uh, post doctoral programs over there. But on the women's side. Interesting. They have two teams at nine and three. Two teams at nine and three. Central Arkansas and Lamar. There are four teams at five hundred. There you go. Northwestern State, San Houston State, and Old Robert at six and six, plus Abilene Christian at five and five. Mm-hmm. Then Houston Baptist at seven and six. Stephen Foster and McNeese State at seven and five. So we have Nickel State at eight and four. So we have this going down to the end. It looks exactly. Like. So you got eight spots. Now we got Ooh, three teams. Well, actually, only two teams pretty much eliminated because even Southeast Louisiana and NM Corpus Christi are five, six, six, and seven. So we have two teams eliminated in Carnival Word, New Orleans. Twelve teams left. Central Arkansas, Lamar, nine and three. Everybody else is fighting for six spots. So you got ten teams this, uh, fighting this, for six spots. We don't have to keep an eye on this. So that's really one benefit of having eight seeds. For your tournament, even everybody, every game means something down the stretch, without a doubt. Thank you. So I'm looking forward to that. So good luck to Houston Baptist and Coach Penny and and her squad because 
they have, I think they have two games left with AM Corpus Christi. And then they got the top teams as well. So nine and nine probably gets you one of the eight spots. Go Huskies. So we'll see how that goes. Yeah, they play AM Corpus Christi a week apart. Uh, they're playing Central Arkansas, first place Central Arkansas today. Ooh. That's it, right, right around, right, right now. Yep. So good luck to them. Should be a good one. Uh, so I'm looking forward to going to the Southland Tournament. I've been to Terman, you know, ooh, wow. Maybe since the first year they had it at Katy was the time I was there. Mm-hmm. So I'm looking forward to going to that. Doc, thank you very much for your participation, your insight, your knowledge doing this you. podcast. Everyone, we're still, um, working toward getting sponsors for the podcast. We're going to get that done this year. I believe that without a doubt and hopefully get some sponsors. Uh, for the final four for our trip to Nashville. But listeners, thank you very much for listening. Thank you for listening on SoundCloud.com. Thank you for listening uh, to the links. Thank you for retweeting the links, listening on iTunes, uh, tweeting the links on, on Twitter, listening to them. I have the links posted on my Facebook page as well. And once we get the the podcast Facebook fan page up, we'll post the links there. You can Interact with us and ask us questions. Well, we've got things in the in the works. As always, thank you very much for listening. Thank you for telling friends about the podcast. We appreciate it. Locally based, nationally respected. Yes, sir. I'm going to wrap it up as I always do, as is my custom, as is tradition of the podcast. Be true, be cool, and do more.